Metalworking Nation, you probably know Zometry as a digital platform where you can get custom manufacturing on demand with instant quotes. But let me tell you about something new. Now you can source high volume projects directly from Zometry suppliers. Do you have a higher volume CNC sheet, die casting, or metal printing project? Do you need to get multiple quotes from different vendors and you have time to wait to get them? Now you can get many quotes directly from the Zometry Network suppliers. You have total control. You name your target price, your target lead time, and you directly communicate with suppliers to get the best deal. This is a new way to source bigger jobs different from instant quoting. You can upload your 2D or 3D files. So it's more than just instant quoting from Zometry. You can source high volume projects directly from the Zometry suppliers. Check it out at Zometry.com. That's X-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you're connected to a community of leaders like I have here in front of me, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Nick Golner and Jim Carr, and we're here at Zenger's Industrial Supply, right near O'Hare Airport. You should say, in our O'Hare studio. In our O'Hare studio. That's what you guys always used to do. I'd be like, this is your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's my office. We never recorded in Jason's bedroom. No, we never. Not. <laughs> I remember when I was just a listener and he'd be like, hey, we're here in our Chicago studio. I'm like, man, they got a Chicago studio. They got a suburb studio. We had a Robert studio. <laughs> These guys are rock and roll. These guys are killing it. Well, yeah. it's Jason Zenger's office, basically. <laughs> so Jim, th- this is a question for you. So we always end the show with, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Right. Which is very true. It is. But you and I have talked about your job shop. You spend a lot more time in the setup process. So you're not necessarily making chips all the time, but you need to make chips in order to ship those parts out and get paid. So the mantra still holds true. But how do you know if you're machining efficiently? How do you know if your guys out in the shop are doing a good job with removing chips? Or if you're at least getting better at it all the time? Well, let me back up. Okay. So we're, of course, getting paid for the setup, right? It's part of the estimate. It's part of the estimate, which we just talked about. And then, of course, there's runtime. Mm-hmm. In our shop, it's typically the setup time is far and away much longer than the runtime. Right. Because we do low volume. We've been doing more production lately, but... But do you think now is a time for you to really analyze your in-the-cut operations? more than you had before because of the higher quantities? When we're running production, yes, absolutely, 100%. So guess what? We're going to talk about that today, and we've got a great guest on okay. in order to help us. So we're going to discuss some basic and some advanced tips for continuous improvement of your milling operations. And I believe that we're going to equip and inspire manufacturing leaders who not only have spent decades out on the shop floor like you have, but also maybe some people that are new to being a manufacturing leader and maybe just bought their shop. I mean, maybe they don't have any manufacturing experience whatsoever and they need to learn some new tips so they can go out on the shop floor and say, hey, have you ever considered X, Y, and Z? Like your buddies from Blaine, Minnesota that called because they just bought a shop and they were like, we need help. I think that's going to be more and more prevalent where you're going to see entrepreneurs wanting to get into the machining business because somebody wants to sell their business, they want to retire, and this opportunity arises. Our friend Mike Payne, that was his story as well. I don't know the episode number, but we did an episode with him and that's a great story. That's a great story. Absolutely. It's not as easy as everybody thinks it is. No, it's not. I will tell you that. 
it's not easy running your business. My dad used to say years ago, they may be able to run a Bridgeport, but they don't know how to run a business. It's an entirely different thing. It's the absolute truth. That is very true. Anybody can learn how to program a CNC machine with enough work and enough training, but running a business is a whole different thing. It's a different skill set and it's a different mindset. Absolutely. But today, we talk a lot about the mindset around being an entrepreneur, but today we're going to talk about the tactical side of actually running a mill operation. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. I hope we learn the way of the mill today. Oh, Nick, you're so sneaky. <laughs> I hope we learn. He's crafty. He is crafty. I'm the Segway King. You are really good at that. That is, that is definitely a skill set you have. Speaking of Nick, Nick, tell me something good going on in, at AME and Hennick. Yeah. So right now, I mean, you guys kind of talked about how it's not a one size fits all world in this manufacturing space and what like a high mix, low volume shop, you know, they may not benefit as much from improving the time in the cut because most of their time is, is set up, but a high production shop may benefit more from improving time in the cut, right? I'm in sales, so I don't get into those kind of challenges, but I do think a lot about sales channels. I think you need to know about your business maybe more because it's only going to help you and assist you in the sales process. Especially since you're part of the ownership or going to be. Oh, no, of course. And that, that's why I love learning from people who are in operations when I'm more focused on sales and marketing. But what I'm getting at is we have five different business units at Advanced. We got four different product groups, five different product groups at Hennig. It's not a one size fits all for every business unit in terms of what channels you should go through to go to market. Sometimes partnering with dealers and distributors is an ideal channel. Sometimes working directly with the customers, the ideal channel. That's what's going on right now is we've got some really great advisors. And we're going through business unit by business unit. We're talking about every possible sales channel. And we're trying to make sure we have the right synergy between the sales channels for each business unit. Because as our company's grown, we've had like certain gaps where we don't have the right channels. We've had certain overlaps where maybe we have, we're using too many channels. And so that's the project. And it's really, really fun. And I'm learning a lot. And I've got a basic thought on that. Don't complicate it. Yeah. Trying to keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple, stupid. All right. So that's what's new with me. What's new in the world of manufacturing? Do you have any news? So I've got some manufacturing news here. This is from Barron's. I got it off of Barron's.com. Oh, is it related to COVID? No, it's Donald Trump's son has a news outlet. Oh, ha, good one. No, I don't think that's oh, what it geez. is. I think Barron's is like related to like the stock market and trading yes, and stuff is. like that. So the title of the article is Pain is Coming for Industrial Stock. Here's why. So I'm going to read right from the article. The current surge in coronavirus... Yeah, it is about coronavirus. Sorry, Jim. The current surge in coronavirus cases has led to a surge in absenteeism, putting the U.S. manufacturing recovery at risk from more than the government restrictions that slammed the economy this spring. Now, I don't want to do any kind of like fear-mongering because I hate that more than anything, especially with everything that's going on with COVID. But people being absent from their job in manufacturing is a real thing, and it is a real problem. Being I mean, physically I, absent or yeah, mentally absent? No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> They're both problems. <laughs> Let's talk about the physically absent But first. there's a lot of people in manufacturing that are mentally absent. Yeah, disengaged. Yes. Let's talk about the physically absent right now. So, you know, if somebody gets the sniffles, like a lot of times they say, you got to stay home until you can test negative or, you know, whatever else that happens. And that's really, really impactful. I mean, I know some large manufacturing companies here in the Chicagoland area and elsewhere in our country that shut down for prolonged periods of time because of COVID. And, and that's a problem for our GDP and our output and, you know, our recovery. So 
it's a problem. So what they talk about is manufacturing activity in the U.S. has bottomed out in April, and I do recall that, that it did bottom out then, as many factories shut down across the nation. Things have steadily improved. The Institute for Supply Chain Management's Manufacturing Purchasing Manager Index, which I know you love talking about all these indexes, Jim. ISM's PMI. There you go. A closely watched gauge of the health of the sector registered 57.5 for November, a level above 50 indicates growth. So there's your bullet point on the number, Jim, which is good. Metrics, metrics. So the question is, are some of these numbers being affected by COVID and about people taking off? Or I know that there's also a slowdown that comes around presidential election times. So there's a lot of these different factors that are going on that are really you know, contributing to the output that we can have as manufacturing and also you know, their contribution to, I guess, the stock market, which is what this article in particular talks about. So is it saying that industrial stocks are going to plummet? Because I think what it's saying is that could the recovery be better? And did it bottom out in April? Or are we going to have another problem after the November numbers come out? I think things are going to be great, but that's my opinion, and I'm entitled to that opinion. Yeah, usually you're wrong on your opinions, but you're entitled to say them. Yes, I am. Just kind of a, a little bit of a segue out of this. Did you know that in Illinois, because manufacturers are deemed essential businesses, that we're going to be third in line to get the vaccine? I did not know that. So it's going to be frontline workers, and then it's going to be long-term health care facilities, and then anybody that is in manufacturing. And they said, because we cannot do our job from home. So we are going to be in line. Probably manufacturing and construction or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. There was, there's more than that. But people that actually have to physically go in to do their job. They cannot do their job from home. Nick just moaned into the microphone. So I think that he has something to say. Oh, well, I'm just anxious about all parts of this. What, oh, getting, about affecting your corona or getting RNA and stuff like that? Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm... There's a lot of uncertainty with the vaccine. Well, I didn't mean to bring this up, and we don't have to talk about the well, vaccine. Well, let's have a medical discussion because, you know, we're a medical podcast. So is that anything like medical marijuana? Well, I, that, that's another <laughs> controversial issue. <laughs> sure is. Can you treat COVID with medical well, marijuana? Well, so one of, my wife had one of her girlfriends over on Saturday night, and we were hanging out. And I was explaining you were to them. You're hanging out with your wife's girlfriend? No, my wife and her girlfriend. Oh, okay. okay. And Jason doesn't have any guy friends, so he has to hang out with them. <laughs> I'm hanging out with you guys now. We just happen to be a pretty. No, we're working podcast. together. <laughs> anyway, moving on. I was explaining to my wife and and her girlfriend that this vaccine is different than every every other vaccine from the past in that it has more to do with your RNA than it does. And I'm not a, a medical doctor or anything like that. But vaccines that we would typically take, like the flu vaccine, they inject like dead flu cells into your system as opposed to this, which actually changes the way that your RNA communicates at the cellular level. So yeah, that's kind of what I know about it's it. It's different. So I'd rather Jim tries it before me is what I'm trying to say. So this is what I thought was interesting as it relates to this. So there's two things that, that I kind of took out of this. Okay, so the workforce is getting older, which is a concern for me because, A, that's where all the kind of the brain trust is. That's where the wisdom is. And those are the people that are more, most susceptible to COVID, and they're probably more likely to be absent because of it. The other factor that you have here is that what they're talking about is that a lot of these large manufacturers are hiring additional people because they're just assuming that they need to be over capacity in order to have the right number of people on the factory floor in order to do the job. So that's a little bit of a concern too, because we have enough of a problem finding qualified people to work out on the shop floor. So there's a lot of kind of moving parts here that are adding up to you know more challenges in the future. When is it just going to be the, the news is that there are no problems and everything is going great? That's called heaven. <laughs>
I'm going to read this quote that was from a spokesperson from Ford, and then we'll we'll end the manufacturing news. We hired additional temporary workers when we restarted production in our plants earlier this year because we expected higher absenteeism. What's more, Ford is paying workers who are under self-quarantine. That's a good thing for the staff and for the company's ability to limit the spread of the virus, although it might not be typical for all manufacturing employees. We might need PPP loans for self-quarantine workers. And that's a problem. If the government's, again, getting involved in sending us more money, that's going to be a little bit of a problem. So why don't we move on to our special guest today? Our guest today is John Miller from Way of the Mill. With more than a decade of chip-making experience, John has worked for Makino as an application engineer in the product group. He has executed numerous high-volume turnkey projects across multiple industries. From there, John worked in Silicon Valley at Apple, where he was responsible for CNC operations for several generations of iPhone. Thank you, John. At Apple, John found out that launching the world's most recognizable consumer product is no small task. It requires an understanding of adjacent manufacturing processes, final product requirements and artful design while managing costs and manufacturability within a complex global supply chain. John started Way of the Mill to bring these experiences and knowledge to as many manufacturers, machinists, and makers as possible through online content and in-shop training. Welcome to Making Chips, John. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. We are hoping to learn the way of the mill today. But look, that was a nice intro, but we always want to hear the origin story. We want to go back to the beginning. How did you get into this industry? Everybody's got a story. Let's hear yours. Okay. So graduated in 2008 with a degree in mechanical engineering. Went to a small college called Ohio Northern University. And, you know, we took a few manufacturing classes, but nothing was really in depth. It was just focused on the mechanical side of the engineering. And senior year, I uh, met a gentleman that encouraged me to get involved in this senior design project, which was designing and building a three-axis mill. A CNC mill? Or a CNC with kind of a Linux-based controller. And we went and got a casting donated from Minster Machine. They make big presses and stuff. They were nearby. It was a huge undertaking, but in nine months, kind of went from nothing to a product that at least moved under CNC controls. And so. you, you fell in love with CNC machining at that point? I did. Throughout that process, you're obviously doing a lot of uh, research about the project that you're undertaking. And I got exposed to a whole different side of manufacturing I hadn't seen before. And I kind of knew at that point, seeing these big metal-eating robots, this kind of violence and noise before we get to this beautiful, artful, accurate part at the end. That's what I needed to be doing. So I, I love that description. That's yeah, you good. can tell he loves it. It's like he's describing like like the woman of his dreams. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But John, what was the objective of building? Why did this guy say, let's build a CNC machine? What was the objective? What was the end result supposed to be? A CNC machine, Jim. No, I know that, but- wanted to just build it to do it or you wanted to build it because you wanted to start a company or you wanted to build it to resell it or were you thinking about being a machine tool manufacturer or what? So I think going into it, you know, you have delusions of grandeur when you're a senior in college and stuff. And at that time, we felt like, you know, if you can make a pretty nice, compact, low cost vertical machine that could go into any hobby shop or anything like that, you'd probably have something. So we kind of designed it around those parameters, kind of with that objective in mind. Was it a tabletop mill? It was actually a little bigger. Think of like a Bridgeport size, okay, but 
What was the table size? Bridgeport table. Okay, so nine by 42 or something. Right, but instead of kind of retrofitting, you know, servo motors and power feeds and stuff to the outside, the CNC component, the servos are built more integrated into the system. They're packaged better. So it's meant from day one not to be a manual mill. It's a a hobby accessible kind of CNC setup. So You probably learned so much from that senior design project. Oh, yes. Did you get an A? Yes, I think. But it doesn't matter now because I've got a job and a career. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that was college and then Makino. Makino was the right. next step. T- tell us how you got into Makino. So again, throughout that entire time, uh, you're doing research on the project and Makino's name kept popping up on advertisements, on websites, wherever we were doing this research. And lo and behold, I'm from Cincinnati and I had driven past Makino in uh, Mason, Ohio hundreds of times and had no idea what they did in that building. And finally, one day it clicked, you know, the logo, the name, and I realized, oh, that's the place I've been researching, you know, amongst others for a long time. So I just decided this is what I want to do. And that's a company that's projecting a lot of competence, a lot of expertise. I'm just going to go work there. It's a high-end machine tool manufacturer. So you just walked in and you're like, today's my first day, Makino. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite, but uh, I cold called the hell out of the place, which sounds ridiculous nowadays because everyone wants to go through an online portal or something to get your resume in, you get into the system and then you're filtered a hundred ways that you don't even know about. This was... But you were different to me. I would I would love that. Yeah, it was, it was a little grindy, but uh, you know, finally got in touch with a HR person that would hear me out a little bit. And I told her about the senior design project and kind of this brewing passion for manufacturing and went in for an interview and ended up being the best thing I could have chosen. So what did you learn when you were there at McKinnor? So I spent six years there as a application engineer doing high volume turnkey projects uh, in the production machinery group. What's a little different about the way McKinnor handled handles application engineering is you're in a specialty. You're not necessarily serving every market. So you were like aerospace or... So they have an aerotech group. They have an aero engine group. They have an R&D group. They have a die mold group that's in Auburn Hills. Production machinery is there in Mason, Ohio. And basically your primary job is executing high volume turnkey projects. What did they consider high production machinery? In general, I've never seen a a turnkey less than 50,000 units a year. Okay. And maybe the project value is at least half a million or or more. Oh, we're talking big bucks. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You weren't like bouncing around from like little job, little job. You were... Between turnkeys, you might be doing that for places that had horizontal machining centers or uh, big pallet systems or, you know, there was uh, definitely that work, but your primary time throughout the year was on one project beginning to end and you saw all of it. You're responsible for the tooling package, the fixture design and and your inputs to the vendors on on what you needed for that, the programming, the runoff, the QC, they have their own in-house inspection there. So you learn a lot about that and you learn how to argue with QC. I know a lot of old school machinists know all the techniques. Oh yeah, we do. I guess what's unique about that is when you go to the customer site to install it, you're the vendor, so you're responsible for kind of maintaining this relationship, but you have to argue with their QC people when they say your parts are bad. So Totally. Yeah, you're walking that tightrope. Totally. Um, so a lot of different, I had a lot of different turnkey types from die cast to cast iron to um, arrow and, and medical. It was a very broad experience. And when you get that deep and that detailed into a process, you learn a lot quick. And I think it's experience that not 
everybody has a chance to get. So why make the jump to Apple? It sounds like a dream gig at Makina. It sincerely was, but I, I am definitely the type of person where I'm always seeking knowledge, something new, something challenging, and got through a few of these turnkey projects and the prospects for doing anything kind of new from that point were limited. And that's no fault of Makinos. I don't mean to, to say that it was any issue with them. This is just my personal journey. And someone reached out to me on LinkedIn, a recruiter from Apple, and I let it sit there for like a month. I didn't think it was real. So finally, I just got to maybe a frustrating day. I don't totally remember, but I came home and I told my wife, I'm going to get in touch with this guy and see if that thing's still out there. If nothing else, morbid curiosity. I don't think it's morbid at all. I think it's just basic. I want to know what he wants to ask me. What would Apple want to do or want, why would Apple want to talk to an applications specialist for Makino? Went to the interview. On site? Yeah. So on site. So I worked all day at Makino. Got on a plane on a uh, Thursday evening. An EST. EST, yes. <laughs> uh, flew out west. I think I got in at like 11 p.m. West Coast time. So I'm already kind of shy. Oh, yeah. And you didn't sleep on the plane? Oh, no, not not at all. I and hope it was a nonstop. It was. Okay. But it was, it was to SFO. So now I yeah. have like an hour drive into Silicon Valley. Yeah, but sure. anyway. So it's the equivalent of 6 a.m. by the time that you get to your hotel. In your brain. Yeah, basically, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm on a 24-hour day. We can say that safely. So I don't sleep at all that night. I'm kind of keyed up before this interview. Going to the interview, and they sent me the schedule like morning of, and I look at it, and it's 10 people, 30 minutes each for the entire day. I no mean, breaks. And even the lunch break, we we're eating while we were talking, right? Oh, we're really? eating while we're waiting to get the, you know, the sandwich from the, the sandwich line. Like, I mean, it was, you're on straight the entire time, no breaks. And they do it like that for a reason, right? They want to see you work on your feet. It's, you know, and see how you respond. I did a few of those interviews in my time there, and it's kind of fun to be on the delivery end. Sure. And, uh, see how people react. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was a grind. I got back to the, uh, I was going to fly out that night. So I flew, I uh, got back to SFO. I'm going to take the red eye back to Cincinnati. So it was like 50 degrees when I left. The next morning I get back to my truck. It's frozen in it, freezing rain that night. I got the plows had buried my truck in snow. Oh. And I just came from like warm California. And that kind of was like. So you're like, if I get a job offer, I'm taking it. Uh, <laughs> Not quite that easy. The I winter mean, will a, do it, that to you. It's a huge move, but it certainly... But it uh, was certainly was something that you were thinking yeah, about. Yeah, it's kind of in the back of your mind. So, uh, yeah, and uh, decide to make the big leap. So you got the job offer. Got the you job offer. You worked at Apple. I want to fast forward to now. I think we're going to talk about your experience like manufacturing at Apple, because I know, Jim, as an Android user, you've got some, you've got some questions, because I know you've got, you know... Device envy all the time. Yeah. Well, well, well I do not have device envy at all. <laughs> you just projected that. Because if I did, I would get one. It's not like too expensive <laughs> for me to get you one. to have device envy. Sometimes he doesn't understand sarcasm. So moving on. So John, I actually, I don't know if you know this or if I told you about this. I actually found out about 
you and what you were doing from our friend Sarah Weirman. Oh, yeah. And no way, um, really. she was actually on episode 202 with Making Chips. And she just like reposted something in her story on Instagram. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I kind of followed the trail. And then I saw that you were producing YouTube videos and, you know, giving away content marketing, your expertise. So, you know, what are you trying to accomplish by producing videos on YouTube and trying to give away a lot of your milling expertise? So, on social media specifically, you know, th- this idea that one person is putting their expertise forward, they're going to train you and and help you along with your milling problems and your process problems is pretty new. Actually in Europe, an independent expert is something that exists a little more mainstream in manufacturing. But in the US, you know, maybe we have some contractors, but it's kind of we'll make chips for food type of deal, right? They're going to come in, they're going to run a job for you, they're going to do some programming and it's it's very transactional, right? This idea of training and and teaching more advanced topics to shops is brand new. So people need to get to know me. They need to see me on social media, see the kinds of thoughts that I'm having about, you know, manufacturing and, and milling specifically. The YouTube videos is just a, a, a little more longer format, you know, 10, 12 minute videos. Just me kind of musing about different aspects of the milling process that I think people might find interesting. It's more so about my perspective on those things than it is trying to convince you one way or another. It's kind of a get to know you so that somebody can say, yeah, you know, he does have the expertise that he wrote into his proposal. I do think personality wise, I can get along with this guy. Well, I was going to say, you said pers- your perspective. Machining is all perspective, right? If you line up 10 machinists with the same print, you're going to have 10 different ways of machining that part. Sure. Completely. Sure. It is an art and a science. It, it's so varied, I can't even believe it. So I appreciate that you said it's your perspective because everyone has an, a perspective when they start a job and how to machine it the most efficient way possible. So, Jim, you talk about these 10 machinists, all different views of the same problem set, right? Yeah. In my experience with all these different turnkeys, handling manufacturing on a global scale and in very high volumes, there is actually some very fundamental best practices and aspects of good versus bad processes. So you would argue those 10 people, some of them are doing it bad and some of them are doing it good. Right. And the best one is probably doing most of them good. Right. The worst one is maybe new. Doing all the fundamentals bad. Right. And they just don't know those fundamentals exist. And kind of what I'm proposing to part of this training is to bring people up to speed on a broader view of manufacturing and things they haven't seen, they may never get to see that I have. And injecting that knowledge so that more of those machinists already see what a good process versus a bad process is. So they is. can use the good fundamentals instead of relying on maybe the bad things that they were trained in the shop That's 20 right. years ago. That's right. That makes sense. I mean, like, because if more of them are using those good fundamentals, you know, you're going to have, you know, a better run company. Sure. Yeah, so you, I didn't even ask the question, but you answered what it would have been. It was, you know, if you had 10 guys lined up and they all have a different perspective... 
why would they hire you? And it, I think your answer is basically you have a more comprehensive understanding because working at McKenna, working yeah. at Apple. I think I tell this to anyone talking to is I've sincerely been blessed with that experience. And I recognize that that experience is not common. Not everyone's going to get that, especially the kind of global perspective and, and maybe what you know the states needs to do to continue to be competitive. So that view, recognizing that it's not as mainstream is uh, something I want to help shops out with. I don't have an Apple. I've had an Android for, I think, my entire life and whatever the, whatever the case. But you're working at Apple. I, what, was, what did Apple have you doing? Did they have CNC machines? Yes. What kind? Did they have Makinos or did they have Haas? They probably had Haas. <laughs> they have many, of many kinds in very high numbers. Now, understand that it's a very secretive company. My NDA is still in effect. So if I speak vaguely, it's not a... It's I, don't, not, I don't need to know that, but I just, I don't see... Because you know what? you I think about production. Production of Apple was the iPhone, right? Yeah. I think of that as completely outsourced overseas. Obviously, it's not. Okay. So first of all, let me, let me talk numbers that are public to give you, guys, give you some perspective. iPhone 5, I think it was one quarter of iPhone 5. One quarter is 90 days. They sold 90 million units. That's a million units a day. The numbers are unfathomable. They're they're ridiculous. They're ridiculous. The contract manufacturers, they need that expertise and that assistance from within Apple. So it's not just my job to help with the milling process. Apple doesn't go to you and say, here's the blueprint, make it. Not at all. They are like, this is how you're going to make it. It's a constant feedback loop of maybe... They want a surface. Really? It's all collaboration. It and really it's all is improving efficiency. Oh, it's super freaking high volume, though. It's that's that's why they have a team of collaborators because it's all about continual improvement, making the processes more efficient. Yep. Yeah. It because if you can shave off ten seconds, the end result's going to be huge. Yeah, money for the shareholders, right? I mean, small changes are huge waves. Okay, right? so you're there, and tell me what's going on there as much as you humanly sure. can. All right, so day to day, obviously putting milling expertise, you know, at the vendors that are overseas, they have problems, they have issues, they have service finish issues, dimensional issues, could be anything, right? It could be cycle time and efficiency, right? It could be any of that stuff. Or working with raw material suppliers to figure out what is the most efficient shape to bring into this operation. Could be working with the product designers who say, listen, I want to make this thing waterproof, for example. I need this glue and this adhesive to mate with a surface of this type. And I'm the one making the surfaces, so we have to work on that together. It could be the industrial designers saying, this doesn't feel right. The finish isn't right. The curvatures aren't right. Mm-hmm. Something's off. This chamfer isn't as beautiful as I want it to be. Right. Okay, those are emotional feelings from a designer. Right. Now we have to turn that into data and an actionable item that we can do on a CNC And machine. Apple's known for incredible industrial design. That's right. Oh, yeah. Touch and feel their devices. It's different than everyone else. Mm-hmm. So is it, a, is it just like a real high-level, high-production prototyping facility? Or can you not, you can't even answer. Yeah, I understand. No, 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 no. I get it. I get it. And that's totally fine. It's totally fine. Yeah. Okay. So since you can't give away the farm, Apple's got a big expensive farm and you can't give it away. (laughs) We don't want to find John in the river somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) You can connect with Steve Jobs in the afterlife and talk about all this stuff. Okay. So one thing about making chips, if there's somebody sharing expertise, if there's a content marketer in the metal working 
chip making world, we tend to find them and we tend to get them on the, on the podcast. So I was going to ask like, you know, how do you position yourself as a consultant and as a trainer? There's a lot of companies in our space, usually the manufacturer, like my company, I have a blog, Work Holding Wisdom. You know, I want to teach people about work holding best practices. A lot of the cutting tool manufacturers, Harvey Tool does a great job. You know, they've got a lot of like milling guides because they want to demonstrate some expertise. And then of course you tend to buy your cutting tools from the people you trust. So how do you do that for yourself? Like what makes you different and what's your approach to creating content and sharing it. So no offense, but value added is half a sentence. It's value added to the things I want to sell you. Sure. Yeah. So and that's not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing that should be in the market. So you're more unbiased and agnostic because you you're not trying to sell exactly. something. Exactly. And, and yeah. like I said before to Jim, you know, these principles and these best practices that I've run across, they apply no matter the machine model, the cutting tools. I don't care. And I'm a big proponent of let's optimize what you have today first then let's decide if investment is the next step to get you the rest of that optimization. I mean, like investment in capital equipment or alternate capital equipment or inspection Or an equipment. alternate process or whatever. Yeah, whatever that, it could be anything, right? There, there's It could be accessories to your machine, yes. like a laser, a probe, a high-pressure coolant system. Anything like that could be give you that last little bit you need sure. without the massive investment of a new machine platform. But I'm glad you said, you know, no offense, because the assumption is, oh, the manufacturer, they put they push educational content, but they always slant you towards their product, even if that's not the right way to get it done. Right. And that's kind of the the approach I take with work holding wisdom. I bring in like six, seven other brands and figure out, okay, let's all share what we have to share. Sure. Because I find like and this is just kind of common sense, but nobody follows it, the more unbiased, the more authentic, the more raw you are, right. even if you have to tell somebody, hey, we're not the best solution for right. that, the more you end up getting new customers anyway. People are going to respect that more too yeah. when you tell them like, you know, hey, these other guys might be better for you. I mean, that was that's one of the reasons why with like our VIP program, we sell all our cutting tools at cost because we find that our competitors are biased. They're like, okay, I want you to use Sandvik or I want you to use Ketamel. So I can or, hit my incentive or whatever. So they can hit their incentive so they can make more margin. And we we take all of that away because we don't want to be biased in the recommendations that we make. But like, you know, so a lot of people like like ourselves, we give away that expertise for free. And I'm not saying that like our expertise level is at the same level that you're at, but you know, you're going to be fighting this battle that you're going to be charging for these consulting services that somebody might say, otherwise I can get this for free. I think another thing to consider is there's a lot of marketing noise out there. Oh yeah. Like, oh, are you kidding? The world is full of marketing noise. Yeah. The way of the tool. <laughs> There's a lot of tools out there making marketing content. <laughs> no, but I mean, like in every industry, I mean, politics, you know, everything. They're just, I mean, there's so much market. I mean, even the media is not even like... Talking heads. The media just says stuff in order to drive revenue for their advertising. They don't care about this it. This vice will cut your setup time 1,000%. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if, if you're on the shop side... I want to get away from that noise, yeah. right? I need something that I know is going to work. Somebody that's going to teach me these fundamentals that my employees can employ every single day. There's a continuous return on that knowledge that you can't get if it's beholden to the products that you're buying. As always, thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feed of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The Metalworking Nation is committed to a new way. 
to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time. Keep it simple, stupid. So You're stupid. <laughs> I don't even know how to segue out of that one. <laughs> So, Jim, I know that you love me and you're a valued supplier to car machine and tool. You're our biggest cutting tool supplier. So, Jim, what's my grade? Well, you know, Pro Shop rates our vendors based on every, it's a live, real time rating schedule from one to five. And let me look, Zangers, you're a five. You're at the top of your list. Five out of five. Five, five out of five. Overall quality packaging quality, lead time, pricing, customer service, and then it averages all of those out. Got it. So what's the purpose of having a grade anyway for your for your vendors? Because part of having a quality management system wants to know that you're rating your suppliers all the time because you don't want to deal with a supplier that's subpar, right? It affects your overall quality. If you're shipping me cutting tools that are late or the wrong size, it's going to impact our customer's delivery, right? So it gives you the ability to have a conversation with your suppliers and say, I need you to make these improvements because of this certification that I have. 100%. That's great. Well, for more information on this, go to ProShopERP.com and check it out.